Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is talking about the G League Part 2 with our guest today here on the Hoop Talk Podcast. And it's a first-time guest here on the Hoop Talk Podcast today. He is the creator of the G League Tracker page on Instagram. Please welcome Sahil Mittel. Thanks you. Thank you guys for having me on. Really appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm in high school right now, and when we went uh, remote at the I think March of 2020, we went to remote learning. Um, kind of was stuck in the house for a couple of months. I started up a uh, Instagram page. Actually, technically, I started it right before we went remote, um, but I really started working on it once we. Uh, once COVID hit, I uh, started an Instagram page covering the G League, and I started off small, just kind of doing some little like easy posts on my phone and just making some highlight tapes. And eventually, I started doing uh, interviews with players, and and now uh, I think we're at like almost thirteen hundred followers now, which isn't a ton, but I mean it's it's getting more attention. It's been kind of getting more and more over the past month or so, um, and we've been. I've just been lucky enough to do some in-person interviews now with different G League players and uh, NBA veterans. And uh, I also on the side, I've been helping out the Windy City Bulls with their social media when I have time off from school, of course. Uh, it's it's just been a lot of fun to kind of cover the G League and now be able to kind of help out work, working for a favorite G League team. Yeah, so you said earlier you were from Chicago and – you grew up as a Bulls fan, and we're definitely going to talk about the Chicago Bulls a little bit later. I know Jalen's excited about that because of his Bulls fandom, but let's kind of stick with the G League for a second. What was it about the G League that intrigued you the most? Yeah, so when I think it was in 2016, the Bulls got their G League affiliate when it was known as the D League, um, and the arena happens to only be like 15 minutes from my house. So we ended up going to our first game and I was, I always love being around the players at Bulls games and I love getting autographs and stuff. So I was by the tunnel and um, I was trying to meet some of the players like Will Bynum was on that team at the time. Uh, Alec Brown, who's with the Phoenix Suns for a little bit, Jarrell Eddy, who had some stints in the NBA. And apparently that game, they didn't have uh, a ball kid. So the team president for Windy City was just walking by and was like, hey, you want to be a ball boy? So, of course, I said yes and uh, was a ball boy for that game and family got to sit courtside. And uh, we really just loved the kind of like the smaller atmosphere, but you're still seeing such great talent. And from there, we ended up getting season tickets for the following seasons from like 2017 through uh, 20 or really now. And really it's just it's just been really good to see the G League grow cuz there's so many guys who have NBA level talent that you're getting to see up close and personal um you're getting to meet the players you're getting to just kind of see them before they hit that like that big that big like that big um how do you how do I say it like that they get their big moment in the NBA um and, and it's just it's just great to see them in that smaller environment and it's just so fan friendly is really what I love about the G League 
So we actually talked to our good friend Jeffrey Sosa from G League TV um, just a couple hours ago. Um, and we talked to him about the exposure of the G League as well as just how big it's become. And he even said like how much the G League has grown over time and how much exposure it's gotten between you know the past couple of years because of all the call-ups as well. And we're definitely going to talk about the Windy C Bulls team itself and some guys from that team that could get called up very soon. But I actually want to talk to you about your your work in social media with the Windy City Bulls because um, we're uh, Jalen and I are both definitely wondering how did you get your start with the Windy City Bulls social media team. So really, like I said before, um, I got to meet the team president just really out of luck um, that that first game and just kind of kept up a relationship with him throughout uh, the past like five years or so, and I ended up. I've always been interested kind of more recently um, and kind of going into the seeing what the sports business has to offer. Um, so I got, I got in touch with him and um, he said we could, we could see what could ha- what could happen when uh, they got back in the office in the summer. And they ended up seeing the work I was doing with NBA G league tracker and the different interviews I was doing and uh, the different posts covering the G league I was doing. Um, and they thought that, digital medium might be a good way for me to get some experience and kind of learn about the sports, the sports, the sports business. And I was working there over the summer, uh, a little more regularly than I am now just because of school, but um, was me and one other, uh, one other person were uh, doing a lot of the social media posts over the summer. And I was lucky enough that they decided to keep me around for in season. And I've been doing the, in-game highlights and in-game updates really uh been tweeting those out instagram facebook um during games and then pre-game warm-up content um really any content that has to do with the players and jalen and i were talking um before the podcast started and we were just blown away by the fact that you have already put yourself in the g league so early and you know we're in our early twenties, you know, you're, you know, in your late teens. So you were able to get that start really early um, and interviews a lot of the great players that, you know, play for the Windy City Bulls or have played for the Windy City Bulls, like Devon Dotson. He's, he's pl- currently playing for the Windy City Bulls. Mac McClung spent some time with Windy City before he ended up uh, re-signing with the Lakers. You also interview players like Brandon Knight. You also got to talk to Jason Terry. Um, Get, talk talk to us more about what it was like interviewing those guys and um what are some other fun things that you've been able to do with the Wendy City Bulls organization yeah so I'll start off a little bit with like the zoom side before we got to the um in-person interviews but um when I started doing those interviews it was like June of like 2020 uh, my first one was a former Windy City Bulls player Jonathan Octius um and I was super excited that I got to do that because he used to be one of my favorite players on the team. And and I was just super happy that he was like cool about doing it because we were messaging over Instagram trying to set it up. And he was really cool about doing it, gave great answers, was kind of like enthusiastic about doing it. And that kind of just set the tone for me to do more with it because I feel like if the first guy I had contacted said no or just ignored me, it kind of would have put me off and like I wouldn't have like wanted to do it as much. Um, but from there kind of grew, did more. I think I did like 12 Zoom interviews. Um, A couple reached out 
almost 30 minute mark with uh, longer conversations with like Rodney Pryor, uh, Walt Lemon. I think I had like a 25 minute one with. Um, and then when we got to go, being able to go back in person because there was a season, uh, Windy City has been like super, super great. And they've been been allowing me to do interviews after games. Um, they allowed me to come to their media day and not do technically work for them, but use that time, like use that time there when I'm not working for them to do my interviews for my own thing, um, which has been super great. So I've been kind of getting the best of both worlds working for them and also being able to do interviews uh, for my own page. And in terms of interviewing these guys in person, it's like, it's so great because you get to see like a different side of them. So it's not like, I mean, even on Zoom, you could you could see like a different side of them, but there you get to understand them more as people and kind of just see beyond their performance on the court. I mean, when I spoke to Rodney Pryor on Zoom, he was a super nice guy. Just like he gave so many great insights into the business behind the G League and different the politics and just all the different like what goes into being a G League player. And then um kind of like when I interviewed Walt Lemon, he gave some great insights into like being in the league and like picking the brains of like Rajon Rondo was when he was at the Pelicans and in-person interviews, I got to interview Jason Terry uh, was one of the guys. He was so humble for being such a, such a, I mean, I would consider him a legend because I mean, even though he was never technically an all-star, I mean, he was one of the best players on that Mavericks team that won that championship. He was a key part of that team. And, for the successes he's had in his 19 year career, he was such a humble guy, so willing to talk. Um, and it's, it's just great to be able to get, in, get to interact with these guys and understand them more uh, than what they put on the court. And so I want to kind of tap in for a second because you know, my main thing that I'm taking away from what you said, and Jeffrey kind of spoke on this too, but this is one of those common themes that I love about the G League, which is why this is like a niche that me and Ryan have wanted to explore a little bit more is that uh, interpersonality that's like developed and displayed from the G League in a way that sometimes people feel like they can't get from an NBA um, standpoint. Obviously, the idea of me and Ryan always use the, the funny phrase getting big timed in terms of being in situations yeah. where maybe some guys have way bigger followings or just might be on a completely different level from an from a from a professional standpoint as opposed to guys who you almost still can view them as like, you know how we talk, like how we talk and see, uh, talk about and see those guys on like high school mixtapes and things like that. Guys still seeking exposure. Like guys in the G League almost are still in that chip on my shoulder, trying to expose myself to the world and show what I can do kind of level. And I just think that that's one of the most interesting things about people who are like interested in the G League because it's such a humbling experience as it is to kind of see a guy work from that area. Cause I think a lot of people view the G league as kind of like the, like the stepchild. And I think over the last couple of years, the G league has almost started to like surplant itself as almost its own league, right? Almost like in the same way that like the NCAA is its own establishment, the NBL over in Australia is its own thing. And now the G league from a developmental standpoint is almost like in its own little lane. And I want to get your perspective on something that I've tried to like bring up very frequently when it comes to the G League, and that's its comparison to the NCAA. Um, I think 
And I want us to get, like I said, I want to get your thoughts on this. I think the G League is a for real trendsetter, like when it comes to this developmental league aspect, because I think they were so small for so long that the NCAA felt that they could get away with the student athlete tag. And then when the G League Ignite program was implemented a year ago, all of a sudden the sweat started to come off a little bit. You started to see NCAA as the NCAA as a as a you as a as an overall conglomerate start to kind of sweat a little bit and wonder like, oh man, wait a minute, are we going to start losing NBA prospects and right. maybe not being the same kind of pipeline we were before? Hence the NIL. So, like as somebody who gets to see some of these players up close and personal from a development from a developmental standpoint, and from your case, very steam like very team specific. How do you feel like the G League compares to like? college ball now from a developmental standpoint especially with i mean we've seen over a hundred call-ups this year we've seen players like seth curry fred van vliet some people are saying that he could potentially be an all-star this year like a couple of guys are legitimately uh supplanting themselves as like legitimate like player legitimate role players and legitimate players at the nba level coming up through g league grassroots like how do you feel about that because i think that's dope yeah, so I think the G League for sure has become, I would say, the second best league in the world. Uh, definitely the the stepping stone to the NBA in terms of exposure, development, and just overall quality of play. I think the one of the main things that people are missing out in in college is that that physicality of what is the NBA game like. The G League is the quality of player when you compare it to the NBA may not be at that peak NBA level, but it's, it's very, very good as we've seen by these uh, call-ups and all these guys going to play in the NBA from the G league. So anybody who comes to play in the G league over going to college, uh, like the guys on the G league Ignite, are really getting that NBA experience. They're getting that. They're being able to play against guys like Greg Monroe, Lance Stevenson, Brandon Knight, um, all these NBA veterans who have had so much success, they're playing against real NBA guys, real NBA level talent. Um, whereas in college, they're not going to be getting that. And I think that's one of the real major advantages of the G League. And as well, the the G League is linked in with the NBA. So you're getting all the NBA developmental programs, um, all the different coaching. Uh, you're getting to interact with basically the whole NBA system when you're in the G League. There's... There's been times where like Clay Thompson, Zach Levine have all come down to practice with the G League guys, and that just gives them more of an experience of playing against NBA level talent, even if they don't play against them in games. And I think that playing against that top tier talent has been such a huge, huge thing for these guys to come play in the G League instead of going to college. Plus, they can make a lot of money uh, if they're on the Ignite program. They're going to make be making a lot of money coming to play in the G League as well, which is uh, a huge bonus. Yeah, so I want to take that, and you talk about the developmental aspect of the G League, and I want to kind of fixate that that overall concept and push it onto like a more you-centered uh, question, which is being in this environment, and I know we talked about this off-air a little bit, but I, I know that you always find it kind of funny when people like address your age when in consideration, when considering like, what you do, how you do it, and, you know, where, how far you've already come. So I'm going to try to, like, leave that part out of it and kind of just focus on, like, just where you are in your in your headspace. 
But as somebody that's interested in sports journalism, um, as somebody who's interested in the NBA, what do you feel like are some of the biggest things that you've learned so far in the early stages of this? And I, I hate to make it sound so existential, but it's one of those things where I feel like from a journalism standpoint, I mean, one of the things you mentioned to me beforehand before we hopped on the pod was like having an interview and having to put together questions like five minutes before a game comes to close and like little tidbits like that, that I'm sure that in a different environment, maybe you wouldn't have picked up. So like, what are some of those things that you feel like, especially in this early developmental stage and at such a high platform on top of that, that you feel like you've already been able to take away being able to work so close to a team like that, something that, you know, only but so many positions to go around and you got one of them i think definitely the professionalism is a huge huge thing that i've seen and been able to experience and somewhere where i've definitely grown i mean being up and close and personal with these guys is it kind of teaches you to be more of like because you're working with them basically right so it teaches you more to be of like a friend to them. I mean, you may not be friends with them, but be more like that type of person towards them instead of being more of a fan, which is what I was in the past before I started all, all of this, all these interviews and stuff. Um, but I, I mean, I'm still a fan now, but being able to be very professional with them, kind of just learning how to, I don't, it's, it's hard to describe. It's just learning how to deal with these guys on a level where they're comfortable with you, you're comfortable with them. And just, it's just been really interesting to hear what they have to say as players. And instead of you just watching them and seeing what they do on the court, I think that's something that I've learned just kind of being really professional in, in whatever, whatever form it is, whether it's working for Windy city, doing interviews with the players for NBA G league tracker, um, just the professionalism aspect of it is huge. Even though it's the minor leagues, it's still a top-notch league. And just seeing how everybody else conducts themselves from the players to the other people in the uh, business staff, it's it's just been really, really interesting to experience. And I think it's going to help me a lot in the future because I have an early stepping stone to uh, into into what the professionalism of, of, of a pro sports uh, team is like. And, that, and that's the thing that we were talking about before the pod was like the, the idea that you're in this space so early that you have a head start, you know, and you kind of had that advantage of being in this industry for, you know, a while already getting to interview some of the top players, you know, not only for Windy City, but just in general, like talking to legends like Jason Terry, you know, top players in the G League right now, like Devon Donson, uh, and then Mac McClone as well, Perry Jones, um, who plays for Windy City, another great player for that team. We're, we're going to deep dive into that team in just a little bit, but who are some other players, not only just for the Windy City team, but in general, that you would love to interview? I mean, really, any of these guys who have played so much in the NBA and now they're using the G League to kind of push themselves back in the NBA – I think Jody Meeks is somebody who just uh, who just signed into the G League. I think he's with Wisconsin right now, and I think they're coming to play us in about a week. So that would be somebody cool to interview. Um, I think maybe even some of the guys who 
have gotten call-ups this year. I think it would be really interesting to pick their brain and see what they've had to deal with. I mean, being in the G League one day to hopping on a flight the next uh, the next day and playing a game that night. I mean, I heard it, I, I'm pretty sure I heard Greg Monroe talk about it, how he had to take like a super early morning flight to Minnesota. Uh, his flight got delayed. He got to the arena like three hours before the game, met with the coach like 30 minutes um, or like an hour and a half before tip off or something like that. And then just went in played. I think he had like 11 points in his first game with Minnesota, but just understanding like what, what has been going on for these guys? Cause it's been such a hectic season. So really any of the guys who have gotten call-ups would be really cool to interview, just hearing their stories and what they've had to deal with. Um, And then maybe even some of the NBA assignment guys, just kind of hearing their perspective on coming down and, learning at the G league level, especially when they're not getting minutes at the end in the NBA. Uh, like Moses Moody is one guy who's been killing it in the G league. He's not getting a ton of minutes in the NBA, but it's been really good for his development to be in the G league. So maybe just having an opportunity to talk to him or somebody like him and kind of hearing what they have to say about how the G league has developed, help them develop their games would be uh, really cool to talk to. And you talked about the, the, the change and the amount of change that's happened so quickly within the G League. And I think this is a really good transition to talking about the Windy City Bulls in general because with the amount of change that's happened in the NBA, especially with the amount of call-ups, the roster construction changes more than you think. It changes a lot more than, than people think. You know, we we talk about, you know, Mac McClellan, and I'll keep kind of using him as an example considering he was just mm-hmm. with Windy City a couple of days ago. And, he just re-signed with the Lakers, so um, you know he just he's working with them now. But um, you know, you talk about the roster turnover of this team, and um, since this is the team that you follow the most and you work closely with, um, who are some guys on the Windy City Bulls team to kind of watch out for? Who are some guys that you think could have a very solid season with the Windy City Bulls, especially in the G with the G League season just starting? So somebody that I think we've all seen so far, I'd have to start out with is Daniel Oturu. Uh, had a really, really solid showcase cup. I think he was averaging like 20 points. He almost 10 rebounds a game. Um, and he was also hitting the three at a higher clip than he has um, in years past. And we talked about that when I interviewed him. He he said that's something he wants to show NBA teams, that he can hit that three um, at a more cons- on a more consistent basis. Um, so he was having a really, really good showcase cup, uh, even though the team's record wasn't there to show it. And even though they got interrupted by some COVID issues, um, and he, he was, he was, uh, rewarded with a 10 day call 10 day contract, uh, with the Toronto Raptors. So he's definitely going to be somebody to watch out for now that he's back with us to, um, kind of just watch out for him the rest of the season. He's going to be a very solid offensive and defensive player, um, I think somebody who's poised to have a breakout and is starting to break out right now is Kerwin Roach. Um, he didn't get many, a lot of minutes uh, during the showcase cup, but ever since the regular season has started, I think it's only been like three games, but I think he's had two starts now. And over these three games, he's been averaging like 17 points. Um, I think like six, six rebounds and like four assists, something close to that, but he's been really showing how efficient he can be, which is, really key for this windy city team because this first that first leg of the season um there it was it was a completely new team only one returning player they were kind of inefficient it was a little bit 
Um, it almost seemed a little bit disjointed. So having some more efficiency uh, for some of the players and seeing them perform at a higher caliber is going to be is going to be nice. Um, so I think Kerwin is poised to have a good second half of the year. I think Tim Bond is somebody else who um, really could serve in a really good role for Windy City. I think he's he got his first start uh, a couple nights ago as well. Um, great three point shooter, uh, really good role player off the bench. He just needs to get more minutes, um, and and he's shown that when he had his minutes these last couple of games, he's been playing it at a good level. Um, I think Devon Dotson, whenever he actually is with us, is gonna is always gonna be solid. Uh, I think he's been averaging like twenty and uh, I think like eight assists, nine assists, something like that, and. So he's always going to be solid for us. And then I think two of our new guys, Perry Jones, the third, played for the Thunder for like three years, like 2012 to 2015, I think. Um, he's going to be somebody to watch out for, not in, maybe not in like the stats that are shown on the score sheet, but somebody who can really make a difference wherever they are on the court. He's just, an in, he, he plays with an intensity and, and, and really just a purpose. I mean, watching him in his first home game was, he only had four points and eight rebounds, but he was really just doing whatever was needed of him. Like he was setting off ball screens, on ball screens. He was doing whatever he, whatever the team needed him to do. So I think he's going to be somebody to watch out for on Windy City. Um, it was just announced that we traded for Andrew Harrison. Um, so he'll be somebody to watch as well. Um, haven't seen him yet this year, but he played well in the G League when uh, the last couple of years he's been in the G. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he gels with this team. Maybe it will give us a little bit more of an offensive punch, um, which we're going to need headed into this uh, regular season uh, if we hope to make the playoffs. And just overall, I think the team is playing more cohesively these last few games, which has been really nice to see. Um, I think it took them a little bit, a little bit of time to get through their COVID issues and being such a new team. But I think they're really starting to hit that stride and, play as a more cohesive unit so Jalen uh it was mentioned there were, there were a bunch of players mentioned on the Windy City Bulls and uh, you know Daniel Oturu and Kerwin Roach come to mind pretty quickly I think Daniel Oturu somebody coming out of college um was not that great of a three-point shooter coming out of college but it's definitely somebody that's improved his, his inside out game um you look at Kerwin Roach I mean I think it's pretty much safe to say that you know we really haven't seen the best of him yet to this point in his NBA, in his career. Um, so I kind of want to ask you this because the G League season has just gotten started. So we really haven't seen like a sample size of the roster so far for the Woody City Bulls. But who do you think can make an impact this G League season for the Wendy City Bulls? Because, um, you know, the entire roster was named by uh, Sahil. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of the guys that you mentioned, you know, overall, I think Windy City is going to be solid this year. One guy that we have to see on the floor a lot more is Tyler Cook. That's probably the one guy that we have to just get yeah. a little bit more of a feel of what he's going to be like because we've gotten a little bit of a sample size and 24 points per game is <laughs> nothing to sniff at. But at the same time, in such a short sample size, there's only but so much we can take away from that. Um, I like Daniel Oturu coming out of Minnesota in that draft. and. I just think that he came up in a weird situation. I mean, didn't he have like a little short? Uh, I'm not sure if I, if I have the right player in mind, but I think he had a little short stint with the Clippers as one yeah. of his like initial stops. 
and just didn't get a lot of PT considering that he was on a Clippers team that wasn't trying to develop anybody, right? This is the same Clippers team that moved off of now Oklahoma City Thunder's main building block being Shea Gilgis Alexander simply because the team was grown, you know what I mean, in terms of their positioning. And I think Daniel was just another one of those guys that fell into that hole of maybe just being thrown into a system. I, I think you can make the same argument for somebody more recent like James Wiseman, right? I think the pressure of being such a raw prospect coming out of college, Daniel Oturu was 10 points per game, I think, his freshman year, bounced all the way up to 20 points per game. And he's like, well, we better hit, we better strike while the iron is hot and go into this draft. When in the reality is like, I think he still had some development like left before he could have been a real fleshed out productive right out of college right out of college kind of guy and i think this is going to be a perfect opportunity for him um i like ethan thompson too he's another one that i think is going to be really interesting as a ball handler dude that four-year guy in college um i i wouldn't say he's some kind of elite shot creator or something but just a smart intellectual player um, and we need those. I mean, we got dumb athletes. Like, I mean, we got a dumb amount of athletes. Like, I feel very confident in saying that we're a bouncy squad. Like, I, I feel very confident in that. But with that, and it's funny because the juxtaposition of our main squad and our G League squad really is once we institute some of those smart, slow down the system, work within your strengths kind of players to our to the team, things started making more sense. I, I'll relate this to the main Chicago Bulls team when you talk about um say you could say you could probably like build upon this, but like last year we were just running gun, like almost to a fault, right? Kobe White is like supposed to be like our lead ball handler next to Zach when in reality we know Kobe's more of a two. Um we never really had a true point guard like the entire year to the point that we like tried to like do the little mini Devin Booker experiment with Zach where we put him at the one every now and then to try to see if we could generate some offense. And it turned into this thing where we were so fast that, and, and, and you combine that with how young the team is, slash was, and we couldn't close games. There were so many games last year for the Bulls where it just seemed like in the last four minutes, it was we were letting it slip. Now, you'd have, you'd have games where Zach would bail us out, you know, there's always the Jim Boylan game where he tells them to be quiet and things like that that you have to focus in on over the last two years where, you know, our team can kind of step up and rise to the occasion. But I think in situations like like I talked about Ethan and you you, you talk about like even DeMar being a guy who can play within the um play within the half court. He's really helped us settle down in the half court area. Nikola Vucevic is another another guy who falls into this area. Alex Caruso has helped mightily in terms of point of attack point of attack defense Lonzo Ball is a really smart off ball defender as a guy who doesn't need to do a lot on offense and can just play both sides of the ball as a role player I think the Windy City Bulls and the main Chicago Bulls roster have a philosophy in mind that we're gonna have studs but we gotta have dudes that just know how to play the game and I think both of those teams are showing that cohesion so far and I think it's showing up pretty well now we talked about this off air a little bit. The the showcase wasn't too good, but I think that's because again, young squad implementing raw implementing some of these guys into the roster. I think Andrew Harrison will be a really interesting like spark plug in this, especially because with losing Mac McClung, we're gonna need another offensive ball handler, another offensive guy in that backcourt next to Devon. So 
I mean, I feel good about Windy City, bro. Like, to be honest, I mean, this is going to be a really interesting year. And this is my first year really paying a lot of attention to the G League. Like, last year, you know, we dabbled in it. We did a couple episodes. Um, We sat down with Jeffrey here and there. But we did a lot of separate sit-downs and kind of looked at the landscape of the G League and just some guys that were making an impact. But this year is going to be so much more interesting because of the fact that I think the G League has never not only had the kind of spotlight that it has right now, but it's also never felt so important. When you get 100 call-ups before the first week of the actual G League season starts, I think that goes to tell you how impactful some of these guys are. And um, so he I actually want to, like, preference, like, like, reference this as a question to you. We've seen a bunch of guys. I mentioned Fred Van Vliet earlier, but like I'm in the camp that like Gary Payton the second for the Golden State Warriors right now. He was a guy who essentially yeah. stole Avery Bradley's last like last spot on that roster and has arguably become like a top 10 level perimeter defender. Like I would argue that he if he played at least 20 to 25 minutes per game, he could legitimately make like a second team all all defensive team. Like and I think that just is so reflective of like what the G League is now. These are legitimate dudes who are built as real pros who can step onto the court day one and produce. So the way I'll preface this question to you is with what you've seen so far this year from the G League overall, what is your what are some of your takeaways? so far this season when seeing some of those statistics like that, right? Like Gary Payton being so good on defense or the amount of G League call-ups being over 100, seeing guys like Stanley Johnson get multiple 10-day contracts. And like, mind you, I mean, he didn't get to play for us, got COVID the minute he got called up. But like, you know what I mean? Stuff like that where you just get to see these dudes get called. It's like the G League, is it just feels so much more alive than years like years past in terms of like the overall impact on the main the main stage which is the nba yeah and i want to i want to kind of paraphrase something chris paul said uh, a couple weeks ago he was he was saying that these g league guys have really kept our season alive and not only not only have they kept the season alive but they've really just kind of they've kept it at that level where it's still been such a high level of play and it really shows the quality of player in the G League. It, any of these guys, almost any of these guys, can step on an, onto an NBA floor and play at that NBA level on any given night. It's just who's given their chance to play. And that's been a huge, huge thing that's been shown this year with so many of these guys getting their opportunity finally when they probably should have gotten it a couple of years ago if they've been playing in the G League for that long or even overseas. Um, I think it's almost been not not to not to be rude to any of the any of the NBA guys who have gotten COVID, but it's almost been a blessing for the G League um, that that uh, that the NBA has had so many guys out because it's really been able to show why these players deserve a spot in the NBA. And I think seeing seeing guys like like you said, Stanley Johnson uh, get get such a big shot in the NBA is is so good for the G League because it's in a marketing sense, you can reach now people who may not know about the G league before, but see like, Oh, this is Stanley Johnson on the Lakers. He's been playing well for us. Like where the heck did he come from? And then they go back and they learn about the G league. And that's just gets more people interested in the G league. When you can see 
see players on your NBA team who are coming from the G League and you're like, wow, they're actually legitimate NBA players. And I think that's going to be such a great thing for the G League. And also, it's for me, it's been it's been really good to see uh, some of the NBA vets who used to be on my fantasy teams back in like third grade get their shots again in the NBA. Lance Stevenson, uh, Greg Monroe was on my fantasy team. Uh, Brandon Knight was also on my fantasy team. They all got their shots in the NBA again. Um, they all played pretty well when they were up there. So I, I really think that this COVID season has been kind of almost a blessing for the G League and really showcases that these players can play at that NBA level at any time. And we talked about the call-ups and the amount of, of players that have been called up in the NBA, not just this year, but like even going back to last year. Like there's a lot of players, and, and you even think about like the Summer League and how – um, players made their impact there, um, like using using that platform and then the G League's platform to kind of put themselves out there. Um, but just looking at the G League landscape right now with the current rosters constructed with a lot of these teams, because a lot of pros are coming back to the G League. We already mentioned, you know, Greg Monroe, he spent some time in the G League. Lance Stevenson was in the G League for some time. You know, Jeremy Lin was there last year with the Santa Cruz Warriors. 37-year-old Jared Jack made a pretty big impact in his first game. And uh, a lot of people were shocked that he had a better game than Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, who were two, at the time, projected top five picks in that year's NBA draft. So um, looking at the current G League as a whole, who are some players? Um, and so he'll start with you. Who are some players that you're excited to see play this year? So I would break this down into kind of two different parts. There's your veteran NBA guys who are coming now to get a second shot uh, at the NBA by coming through the G League. And then there's these G League guys who are starting to get called up now. So I'll start with the veteran guys. Um, Marcus Thornton came back to the G League after uh, he, he played there from like 2017 to like 2019. Uh, he played well then. Uh, he had a solid NBA career. Um, he just played his first game a couple nights ago. I think he had like 20-plus or something in his first game back, which was nice to see. So Marcus Thornton is uh, definitely somebody to watch out for, even at a little bit of an older age. Um, Jody Meeks has come back to the G League. Um, who else? Uh, Jason Thompson. Uh, so many of these these NBA veterans, I think it's just been great to see that they know that the G League is no longer too good for them to come to. And they're now finally realizing that it's a legitimate way for them to make it back to the NBA. And then in terms of kind of younger guys who are starting to get that NBA shot now, uh, I'd say for the Memphis Hustle, uh, Ahmad Kaver and uh, Shaq Buchanan have been two guys who I've been really following a lot. And just seeing their intensity both on the offensive and defensive ends has been huge. I mean, uh, Caver got his first shot with the Indiana Pacers. Um, Buchanan got to play for the Grizzlies. Um, they, they're both really top-notch G League talent, and I think they're real, they've really been able to show it, and it's why they got their NBA chances. And they both, they both have been like, maybe they're not dropping 20 a night or something, but I think they're both dropping like 15 or – 13 to 15, but they're also playing really well on the defensive end. They're grabbing rebounds. They're doing not, not just the scoring side, but they're doing everything else that you need to do in order to be a quality NBA player. And I think that's something that people 
forget about when they watch the G League. They're looking at those like, you know, 25, 27 points per game scorers um, to be those next guys in the NBA, right? But it's really the guys who can, who are really versatile and can do the small things who are really going to get their chance in the NBA. Um, and I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here. I know this is not the question, but, um, and that was kind of shown by Antonio Blakeney. I mean, he was averaging 32 his, uh, his G League rookie year. Uh, one G League rookie of the year arguably should have been the MVP, but I don't know what happened there. Um, <laughs> he got his chance in the NBA with the Bulls. I mean, he was kind of just a little bit of a black hole, right? So, I mean, all he could do was really score, and that's how he ended up in China. So, um, I think really looking out for these guys who can do a little bit of everything is uh, something I've been excited to see. And uh, one other guy I'd like to mention is uh, Micah Potter for Sioux Falls. Uh, big man, been averaging a double-double basically the whole Showcase Cup and now the regular season. Uh, just been a really, really solid guy on that team that uh, I've been excited to see play. And I think that's the thing Like when we talk about with the G League, and I've been guilty of this too because like I always look for – you know, who's impressing in terms of the scoring numbers, right? You know, like Alonzo Trier last year, and I'll say like Ignis Brasdikas as well. Like those were two players that like immediately stood out to me because they were just scoring so mm -hmm. much. And then you also have uh, Tyler Cook, um, who is now at the Windy City Bulls. Last year, he was a player that just would not stop scoring. Like he was just going crazy in a lot of these games. Um, and ju it's just a great, you know, as just a solid bucket getter for the Iowa Wolves last year. So, I mean, those are just a couple of players. And I'd be guilty of just looking at the scoring stats. But then when you talk about, you know, the little things, right? This is weird because, like, I know this is a – like, you guys are Bulls fans. But, like, when I think of little things, Alex Caruso, like, mm -hmm. he does the little things that, oh, like, yeah. are really impressive for, you know, for teams like, you know, with the Lakers and then, of course, with the Bulls, like – you know, he's able to knock down some threes, but like a lot of people know him for his pesky defense, you know, like as somebody that can jump up block shots, you know, get rebounds, get the steals that are necessary to, you know, uh, you know, force the turnovers and, and get into transition. And hopefully, you know, you can turn defense into offense. That's basically like what he was good at in the D at, in, at the time, the D league. And now like in the pro, he's been in the process, he's been doing that as well with the Lakers and the bulls. So yeah, just like immediately, thought of him when you mentioned the little things but Jalen I know um Sahil mentioned a lot of great players from you know all different teams and I know you could probably go off on a bunch of players that you really like from college I mean Miles Powell is like the first guy that you know of like you know I mean my, he Jalen's like the biggest Miles Powell fan and he's honestly like I don't blame him because he was a great player coming out of Seton Hall. And I think we were just all waiting for his opportunity and he finally got it, thankfully. Um, but, you know, other than Miles Powell, like uh, Miles Powell, like who are some players that you're looking forward to see play? Oh, man, I wasn't expecting you to tell me I couldn't pick Miles Powell. It's like, no, let me get let me, let me That's what we like to call a swerve, Jalen. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, actually, I mean, I had a couple of guys just like sitting in the wind because I feel like there's just so many interesting storylines with this year. Um, the return of Russ Smith, I thought was huge. Oh, yeah. That was like an underrated story. I feel like like G League heads, and I, I, I try to like I'm trying to ingratiate myself into this community. So you can see I'm trying really hard. But um, <laughs> Russ Smith is a guy who's like like solidified as like a legend, right? This is like 
like how Marcus Keene is like a very big deal in the TBT. Ryan, you know how we, like we we talk about the TBT every now and then. Russ Smith is like that dude. Like he's really right. a problem. I mean, he still holds the record scoring wise for like what sixty five points in a game or something yeah. nuts like that. I think it was back in twenty sixteen. So it's been a grip. We've seen a lot of talent come through the G League from a scoring standpoint. Monster numbers. Don't even get me started on Paul Reed. Like I could talk about Paul Reed all day. Still think we need to put him on Toronto, but. That's a different podcast. <laughs> Either way. So, like, Russ Smith is a guy who could fill it up. I just, I mean, the fact that he came out, did he drop, like, 40 the other day? Yeah, or so something he had, nuts? He had 43 in his first game back, which first was First game back, insane. back broke and all, and he comes back and goes demon time, 43. He comes back as, like, he never left. It's stuff like that that's insane to me. Um, Moses Moody's another one. Uh, so, he'll mention it earlier, but, like, my main thing with him is you got take, he got taken so high for a team that's so good. And I really, I fear for him in a way that is maybe a little bit over the top, but we just saw what happened with Nico Mannion, right? This was literally a year ago. The dude is playing overseas and granted, he has a different set of circumstances. His overseas visa works a little different over there because of his descendancy and stuff. So in terms of that, he was able to go over there, play right away, get a little bit of a bag by being a little bit of a native and different things like that. So it worked out from a native standpoint. There was like the hometown kid coming back and doing damage overseas. So Nico Mannion's at a totally different level in terms of like what his opportunity was. But we've seen this before with Golden State where sometimes the draft and stash method with a team that good kind of devalues how good a prospect really can be. And coming out of Montverde and even especially coming out of like Arkansas, Moses Moody's like a solid 3 and D wing, bro. And... Unfortunately, when you look at Golden State's main roster, Moses Mooney was like the only one who wasn't giving them like really solid minutes. Like, you know what I mean? Like we've even seen Quindary Witherspoon come in and like oh, yeah. drop like 10, right? Like 12, 15 minutes on the floor. So like Moses is the only guy who on the main NBA roster has shown us like little patches of information that show that he's like going to be a really solid player down the stretch but just not enough to, like, know what his real bag is. And then coming out and dropping, like, what, 37 the other day? That's the kind of stuff that I know he's made of. I think it's just now we got to crank it to 10, right? Now we need to let him see the ball go through the hoop. And that kind of brings me to, like, one of my other dudes, Jared Culver. This dude's confidence had to be wrecked to be traded up for, for Minnesota, who at the time of trading for him, was in desperate need of a secondary ball handler or at least a, a guy they could throw at the three every now and then. And the dude barely could get any burn. Now, was that based on coaching? Was that based off circumstances? Was that based off just his developmental curve not being as good? I like to bet on Texas Tech guys in terms of defense and the fact that he couldn't get on the floor for a, a Minnesota team that was not good at defense at the time. Seemed just kind of outrageous to me. So I think now, especially you talk about Memphis being where he is now, the Memphis hustle, and just being around the Memphis roster in general, easily one of the best developmental staffs in the league, right? I mean, we got to put them up there next to maybe Toronto and some of these other like high high programs in terms of developing their guys in-house. So Jared Culver getting a secondary chance like with a new start in a, in a place that I think is going to really – hone in on him growing as a player. I think that's huge. And the last guy, guys, Kyrie Walker. We're we're local over here. So the Capital City Go-Go are a team that we're going to probably try to catch here and there throughout the season. 
local dude. And the reason why I'm focused on him outside of him being on Capital City is he did it a different way, right? LaMelo did it in a, he was one of the first people in recent memory to kind of do it the different a different way in terms of being an American-born player that went overseas to do his time before coming in and entering the NBA draft. Kyrie Walker didn't go to college. He didn't play overseas. He basically went straight undrafted and comes in and goes demon time in his first game like it's nothing. You know what I mean? Showing his step-back fadeaways and all this other nonsense and it's averaging like 20 in like I think like two or three games so far this season. He's just interesting to me. In high school, he was nuts. And I think now on this level where he gets to just focus on strict basketball, there's a lot of personal stuff with Kyrie that took place off the court too in between the time of like, you know, his high school eligibility uh, running out and then now. So just to see him on the court doing damage is huge. And like I said, local guy too for us in terms of like somebody that we might be able to see pretty frequently. So pretty hype about him. I, as you guys can, as you, if you guys can't tell, I'm actually really excited about the G League this year. Um, and it has a lot to do with the fact that the NBA product has been mm, subpar. I don't want to say the NBA is bad, but um, like, I'm waiting for the time when the, the NBA really picks up. We've had a lot of really great moments. As a Bulls fan, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't not DeMar DeRozan double bump, pump fake every time I get to a doorway. Like, it's kind of just, like, built into me at this point. But, like, over the course of the season so far, it's been a lot more, like, shocking events. A lot of the Bulls overachieving. Cleveland's a lot better than we thought. Atlanta's. Sucking so bad that John Collins is mad about his role and Cam Cam Reddish just got traded to the Knicks. Like, you know, stuff like that. The the West is not that great. Like, I, but in the second half of the season, I think is when things are going to pick up. But while the G League is front and center right now with all the attention and stuff right now, I am just so like all in on these guys and what they're doing. Obviously, college basketball is pretty big with us too. But yeah, man, the G League, they just look so hype right now. And I, I'm just hyped for it. But, um, so yeah, I want to take that as a way to like segue into something that um I'm not sure if you have like a huge take on it. We've kind of like sampled this around here and there. So kind of just rock with me for a second. But the G League Ignite program is like the talk of the town. And I can tell by your face, you, you already kind of understand, especially from the team side. Uh Jeffrey said something to us and I wanted to get your take on it. He yeah. said that the G League Ignite, especially with the fact that it's only it's still within its infancy, infancy, is kind of like the G League's baby right now is the way he phrased it. Um, anything that's pro G League, a G League Ignite, like the G League is all about right now. But I want to get your perspective about like the program as a whole, what your thoughts on it right now are only two years in. And um, just like if you have any real takeaways, because I know last year was kind of dicey, right? You look at Jalen Green, he went second overall last year. And we kind of felt like he was going to go second. And, like, if we if not, we at least knew he was going to go top three. So I don't know if the G League, like, affected that. Jonathan Camigo was supposed to go top five. He ended up going six or uh, a lot. Yes. Uh, yeah, he ended up going six. Yeah, correct. And, you know, questions. I mean, that's not much of a drop. Isaiah Todd ended up going first pick in the second round as a guy who could have been at Michigan, who was in the, who was in the Elite Eight last year, right? Dacian Nix who could have been on that OD crazy out of nowhere UCLA team last year um, in, in the backcourt next to Tiger Campbell. I just don't feel like we learned a lot last year. Um, 
But you've been around this new group of guys, Scoot Henderson, Dyson Daniels, Michael Foster, or at least gotten to see some, see these guys a little bit, a little bit more like through the showcase and things like that. So like, what are your takeaways about the program, even with us still being really early? Yeah. So a couple of things to say about the Ignite program overall last season in the bubble. Um, and I think this is something that a lot of people in the G League know, but you know, probably just won't say it because it's a little bit of a tense topic. But the only reason that bubble <laughs> happened, only reason that bubble happened was because of the Ignite. The G really? League was, I mean, it, it the G League was basically trying to save that program because they had been hyping it up and they had signed all those guys. And if that season didn't happen, like that would have been terrible for them because they had been spent so long building that program and like trying to get those guys. If that Ignite team wasn't there, I don't think the G League was as much of a priority then to where, because they, they didn't really care if the other teams bought in. Like it was your option to buy in. If they really cared about the G League, they would have forced everybody to go play. Or they would have said, we're going to have a full season, come play. They said, oh, it's your choice. And they were making the teams pay for it and everything. If the if the NBA really wanted it to happen, I, I would have assumed that they would have fronted the money and put up a ton of money for it. But I mean, I, I have a feeling, and I think some other people could probably attest to this in the G League, that that bubble probably was to save the Ignite program. And it, it, it really okay. makes sense. But I think also the Ignite program, I have... I haven't like spoken to anybody about this part of it specifically, but how does it make the other people in the G league feel like, how do the mm. players on other rosters feel about it? Like, cause these guys who are being signed to like the, the contracts with the ignite, I think even the veteran guys on that team who are not like the top prospects, they're still making more money, I think than a standard G league contract. So, and, and there's a lot of guys in the G league who are like veterans and who are like, probably like, why the heck am I not making, I'm only making 37000 a year, whereas these guys who are unproven and supposedly going to be really good are going to play in this program. They get their own home gym. They've got all this extra media coverage around them, and they've got, they're getting paid a lot of money, and, and they really haven't proven anything yet. And I think that might, might have set some people off a little bit. Um, but in terms of the program, I don't think it's necessarily – a bad I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's actually going to be a good thing overall just to draw more exposure to the league. Um I think Scoot Henderson is somebody who's really impressed me this year. Um and I, I think he's actually signed for two years with the Ignite because I don't think he's eligible to enter the draft. So mm-hmm. um he's been somebody who's I think the youngest guy on that team and he's been super, super impressive. Just just very mature for being so young. And I think um Marjan uh, Beauchamp, who's has been somebody else who's uh, been impressive, just an athletic guy. Uh, with, he's been averaging, I think, fifteen and seven is, are the numbers. Um, some guys who didn't get as much coverage as like Jaden Hardy, but like we're, I mean, they still got coverage, but like they they've been really impressive. And I think Hardy Foster, I mean, they've kind of done what people have expected them to. Um, I don't think there's any real surprises there. Um, but I think the Ignite program and what's happening with the coverage around it kind of leads to some bigger questions for the G League overall. Going back to like these guys who are not on the Ignite are only making 37000 a year. And for the level of competition that they're playing at and for their skill levels individually, 
they should be making much, much more. And I think that's something that the new G League Players Union is really going to try and um, try and negotiate. Uh, I think one of the things that has changed is that G League players used to have to share rooms. So that that's something that, that got changed. Now they get their own rooms, thank God. I mean, they kind of, they should have their own rooms, but they used to have to share rooms. They used to be making, uh, I think it was 19,000 something. And then 26,000 were the two levels of contracts back when uh, Alfonso McKinney was in the G League. I think he was only making like 19,000 something in change. Um, so I think G League contracts have improved, though not substantially. And I think that's something that now seeing the amount of money that the Ignite program's getting, that the rest of the league is going to kind of have to catch up to so that it's a little bit more of an even playing field. Well, I'll also say what I know you are partially unable to say as explicitly. And I think the other thing from a contract standpoint is obviously kind of something we've mentioned in in jest with all the call-ups, the number of call-ups and stuff. And you kind of mentioned it briefly through using the, the Chris Paul quote, but like the G League's also saving the NBA's ass. So it might be about time to pay up. Um, and I'm usually not that aggressive about these kind of things, but this year has kind of put the G League front and center, not only for me, but I think for people in general in terms of the overall NBA landscape, because there's really a a real hierarchy to the NBA as a overall like franchise or conglomerate, right? The NBA as a brand is those main like 144, 160 guys, right, on main on main rosters. But the NBA G League is a sub part of that. The WNBA is a sub part of that regardless of what some people believe sometimes when it comes to stuff like that. Um, two leagues that I feel like just don't get enough um, attention in comparison to, obviously, the, the top counterpart. And um, that's something that me and Ryan try to focus on a lot, you know, try to do WNBA content as well, because that's just, an- that's just another suboptimal group that I feel like is not getting the kind of exposure that it, it, it could. And it takes, I think it takes years like this, for example, with the G League doing what it's do what it's doing right now to show people the importance of it. Just like I think last year or this past season with the WNBA, it was probably the one one of the most followed WNBA seasons ever. Now the 21st the 25th anniversary had a lot to do with that, but the storyline of Candace Parker in Chicago was huge. Took over the internet for at least a like at least a couple of days and which I don't think is something you could say in past seasons in terms of the overall impact. Um, the merchandise, the orange hoodies, shoot, I own one. Like that's one of those things that's kind of like taken over as a trend as well. I think the NBA as a conglomerate is better when leagues like the G League and the WNBA look good, right? So in a year like this where the G League looks good, looks productive, it's huge. Um, Now in terms of your G League Ignite uh, standpoint, I agree with you. as the as the the quick point to put it uh to put it before I transfer it over to Ryan, like my my thought process on it is they're gonna try to make this work, and it's not just because of the money invested in it, but I think it's because they realized that the the routes that people were having to go in order to make it into their league were starting to get absurd. We had guys going to the NBL. We got we had we had Darius Baisley skip college to do an internship with New Balance. 
You know what I mean? Like we've had we've had some really creative subplots to trying to get to the NBA in in ways that I genuinely, if it weren't for the social media era, I don't even think would make sense. Like oh, in yeah. a normal set of circumstances, right? Like I think that's mm-hmm. that's really how I feel about it. Is like it was getting out of hand, and we're talking about top level guys, right? Lamelo Ball went number three overall. He played in the, the NBL. Because he wasn't going to go to UCLA, that partially had to do with eligibility stuff and dad stuff and <laughs> other stuff. But like, you know what I mean, right? So, yeah. but nonetheless, it's just that idea that guys were almost having to outsource their talent in order to be able to forego the whole not getting paid thing with college. So, I just think that the G League is definitely going to try to make the ignite work. And I think at the end of the day, I think the NBA wants the G League to be the best developmental program across the board in comparison to some of these overseas leagues like the Adriatic League overseas and the Australian League and things like that. I, I think the NBA genuinely, genuinely wants them to be the second best league. Um, Ryan, we, we talked about it a lot. So, I mean, I, forgive me if I kind of hog the spotlight in terms of that, but like any like further thoughts on like the G League Ignite team from like the standpoint of just what they what they mean for the next steps for the G League as an overall program? So I actually want to transition back to uh, Sahil because there was a point that was made in the in the last episode that we did with Jeffrey okay. because Amani Bates still has another year of eligibility at Memphis. Now, um, Sahil, I don't know how, how, how closely you follow Amani Bates' season right now in Memphis, but judging from like the outside perspective – we don't really know whether or not he's going to stay at Memphis because he still has that extra year of eligibility. So he can't go to the NBA draft. So if he doesn't decide to stay at Memphis, there's that opportunity that he can go to the G league ignite team or just a G league team overall. With that being the case, if Amani Bates does end up going to the G league, how much exposure, how much more exposure should I say? does a name like Amani Bates bring to the G League Ignite team? And does it kind of help foster the case that the G League Ignite team in year three with Amani Bates, does that kind of help like legitimize them more as a program? Yeah, I think... I think even if like any time a huge name is going to go to the G League, it's going to give, it's going to bring so much more attention to the G League as a whole league and the G League Ignite program specifically. Um, but the G League being being able to grab these top top guys consistently year after year, and not kind of having some years where they don't get the guys that they want, um, is really going to bring the legitimacy that. Uh, that they want to have. And I think if he ends up going there, that's just going to prove that it's such an attractive destination now that the G League is not just kind of like a second-class league, that it's really a a top contender for a lot of these uh, top younger guys. So uh, if if he does go there, I think it'll be a really good thing for the league. It'll get more exposure. Um, And and I really think it'll help prove that this Ignite program is going to consistently work year after year. And I think when we you know talk more about the Ignite program, it kind of brings to mind like 
I guess the efficiency rating. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, like how, how quickly guys from the Ignite team get noticed in the NBA and on draft boards, right? You have, uh, you know, Jaden Hardy is a top 10 pick right now, mm-hmm. but you know, Marjan Bochamp is somewhere outside of the lottery pick uh, range, somewhere around there. Last year, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga were the talk of the town. And then Isaiah Todd and Dacia Nix found themselves in the second round or undrafted. Now, um, Jalen kind of made this point earlier, and I kind of want to expand on it more because Isaiah Todd had an offer at Michigan that he turned down. Dacian Nix had an offer at UCLA to be in the backcourt with Tiger, Tiger Campbell and be on that final four UCLA team that went to uh, that almost that that uh, almost beat Gonzaga if it wasn't for a last second three point shot by uh, Jalen Suggs in the final four. But it, it's almost like a, a what could have been type of scenario with Dacian Nix and Isaiah Todd. Do you feel like that's the negative for some players that choose the G League Ignite program because I think that's that's definitely something they have to consider. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be that negative like possibility that you don't get as noticed with such other big, talented names on the team. But then again, there's that money right there <laughs> that I think that kind of almost it almost kind of gets rid of that worry because here's the thing. Isaiah Todd was a early second round pick, right? He's still going to make a lot of money. Daisha Nix, I think he's on a, is he on a two way right now with Houston? Yeah. With Houston. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's getting, uh, I think it's like 500,000. Now they've upped the G the two way salary or something too. It's they've upped it a lot now. So they're still going to be making a lot of money. I think there's always going to be that. What if I went to college route? What if I did this? What if I did that? I think that, it's just like it's tough to look back on it because what happened if they played college what if they got hurt in college what if they didn't perform at the level that they wanted they thought they were going to perform at in college I mean there's going to be a what if everywhere but I don't think that that idea of okay me being on this team with so many other talented guys might put me lower than where I should be going I don't think that's really going to deter anybody from joining the ignite program it's it's really going to be like what could I gain out of this? Because I don't think there's a huge negative to playing in the program. So, I mean, I mean, just to kind of piggyback off of what both of you guys said real quick, I mean, the biggest thing Ryan mentioned was, I, I think the way you were trying to phrase it was like hit rate, right? In terms of like, like how many of these guys land in the first round in the draft, in upcoming drafts. And I think that's huge, especially this year. You know, this this class, I would argue as a group, is a lot stronger um, Scoot Henderson being in class of 2023 does kind of hurt a little bit because then you're leaning on Jaden Hardy to kind of carry. Um, Michael Foster is like somewhere late first round, like mid second round on certain on a lot of boards right now. Bochamp's interesting. Dyson Daniels is interesting. They, they got a couple of guys, but they kind of float all around. And um, just kind of like kind of a way to like put a bow on this. I think year three is going to be so crucial for the G League Ignite. And my main reasoning for saying this is Scoot Henderson is in that draft class for 2023, and that'll be his second year developing under the program. So this will be 
one of those things where you'll be able to see where a guy's development within the program goes from year one to year yeah. two. Because right last year, and even with some of the guys like Jaden Hardy and Michael Foster and Dyson Daniels and so on, they're only going to be in the program for one year. So the question you have to ask yourself is, did they learn enough in this um, internship type setting, right? Like, did they pick up enough skills to be able to translate that on the NBA level going straight into the draft? But the other reason why I think year three is so important is because there are some other dichotomies to match up against, right? Ryan, you mentioned the idea of Imani Bates coming down to the G League. Well, what if he doesn't, right? Now, he's arguably in class of 2023. I would say he's got to at least be like top five in the class in terms of guys coming out of college. Now, there's a couple of other interesting names and We'll get to 2023 when we get to 2023, but I've already kind of looked into those guys a little bit, and there's some interesting names coming up, especially for, like, the Kentuckys of the world and stuff like that. But Imani Bates is going to be somewhere up there. Um, Victor Wimbenyama is playing overseas professionally, and he's the guy that everybody thinks is the the number one pick bona fide. Seven-footer, OD, OD length, you know, there's the viral video of him playing one-on-one pickup against Rudy Gobert and kind of giving him the business a little bit. But that dichotomy between Scoot Henderson, Victor Wimbenyama, guys like Imani Bates, I think when you look at that trifecta, whoever wins out of that, right, whoever ends up winning the lottery, quite, quite literally, right, in terms of going number one overall in that draft class, will tell us so much about how far along the G League Ignite is in these early stages. Because if they're already beating out college prospects and bona fide number one overall picks who have played professionally overseas in the like the Luka Doncic type mold like Victor uh, like Victor is, that means the G League is here. Like we've already we're already feeling their presence, but to then see it show up in draft boards the way you were mentioning earlier, Ryan, that makes it where now we can like kind of look at the G League G League Ignite program and say, okay, they're really here. They're really producing pros. They're really affecting people's ability to get drafted and get drafted high. So that's just how I view that. But let's let's focus on some NBA stuff for a second. Let's have some fun um in the the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the pod or whatever. And um I said this off pod, but I felt so stupid when I sent you the rundown because I was like, well, who's your favorite team? And like, you know, we can talk about them and stuff. And I'm like, well, he covers Windy City and um, I'd have to assume he's a Bulls fan, but I hate to assume that on people because, you know, you know, you never know. Well, we talked a lot before the pod. He's a Bulls fan for real. He's certified, stamped in my book. He He's for real committed to this. So like with that being the case, you know, so he'll first of all, you know, thoughts on the Bulls season so far. Got to be kind of hype about him, you know, right. Top of the East right now. Top one, top two. Um, legitimately look like a contender in the Eastern Conference in a very battle-tested Eastern Conference through the first, you know, uh, 30, 40, nearly 50 games at this point, right? Like, like we're getting through this season pretty quickly, actually. Like, thoughts on them, um, DeMar for MVP, you know, thoughts on that, and you know, stuff like that, you know, uh, just thoughts on the Bulls overall from you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an exciting time to be a Bulls fan. Let's say that. I mean... I went to we didn't we haven't made it out to a a regular season game yet this year but we went to a preseason game actually and just the energy in the in the United Center was crazy I mean like Alex Caruso got called up and everybody was going crazy for him DeMar DeRozan everybody was just like so excited to see such a great team on the floor for the first time in a while 
And for it being a preseason game, the energy in that in, in the building was really good. So, I mean, just watching them now throughout the season has been like we finally actually have a, a chance to do something instead of kind of bowing out early, like a first round exit or barely missing the playoffs. Um, we actually, we actually have a chance to go far. So I feel like De- DeMar and, and Lonzo kind of bring us away from being that, like we're just trying to score a team that we had with Kobe White and, uh, and, and Zach Levine uh, and bringing us and brings us towards more of a, a championship caliber team. Cause it brings us things that we need DeMar veteran leadership, kind of calmness under pressure, which is something Mac McClung talked about when I interviewed him, just how calm DeMar is under pressure. Um, he's not really phased by anything. Um, Lonzo finally giving us a true point guard uh, that, that we really needed. Cause we could not win anything with Kobe White jacking up threes every five seconds. Um, and then just the kind of the defensive intensity of Alex Caruso has been huge for us as well. And Vucevic as well. I mean, he's had some kind of off moments where he's been missing a lot of shots this year, but when he's on, he's on. And it's just been great to say that we have a, we finally have a team that's constructed to go somewhere instead of a team that's constructed to go here and then fall off. Now we have a team that can actually go and reach the end goal, which is the championship. Now, all teams are not not perfect. We just got shellacked by the Brooklyn Nets the other day, which tells us that we still got a lot of work to do. <laughs> look, look, we gotta speak on it. We can't, we can't, we can't gloss yeah, over yeah. it too hard. And if if I didn't bring it up, Brian was gonna bring it up for me. But I wanted to use that as a segue <laughs> for this to say that there's still a little bit of building to do, and we're a team that, especially with that Demar Derozan contract, which a lot of people questioned at the time, and I, I gotta admit, I was a little bit skeptical of the number. I think, especially because we weren't weren't playing against anybody. You know what I mean? In terms of the the trade slash free agent market, we weren't going up really up against anybody except ourselves in terms of the kind of money we could offer him. But we gave him we gave him the big deal, and so far he's definitely played up to that to that worth. But what do you think is missing from this team that can legitimately make us? like scary in the East this year? Because I think a lot of people still are wondering whether or not this early season stuff is a fluke. Obviously, you know, DeMar DeRozan has had some lot, uh, has had some late game heroics and that's helped our, our, our team, but we've had a lot of winning streaks. We, I think, I think we're legit, but for the people who don't think we're legit, cater to that, pl- that point for a second and kind of explain the one thing that you think if we get this, whether it's just, better play from a player somebody you think we should acquire if we get this the haters got to keep it quiet because now we're the real deal like who like what do you think that is i think and this is a tough one because every time we've lost a game it's kind of it hasn't always been for the same reason it's kind of Mm -hmm. there's no been there's not really been a super consistent theme um though i would say i think vucevic needs to be more consistent overall i think that's kind of we we have not done so well in some games where he's been off. And I think that's that he just needs to be more consistent overall. I think that'll help us a lot and not having to worry about, okay, is he going to produce? Is he not going to produce? Um, so his consistency kind of going up is going to be huge for us. Um, IO playing really well off the bench recently has been really big. So if he continues to play like that um, and kind of be 
just kind of that intense player, kind of similar to Alex Caruso, just being that intense guy who's going to do whatever it really takes. I think that's going to be huge for us throughout the rest of the season. Otherwise, in terms of in, in terms of firepower, we have it. We've got Kobe White. We've got Zach Levine. We've got DeMar to be clutch whenever we need him to. Um, hopefully. Not going to jinx it. But um, just I think the consistency it, of, of a couple of our players just needs to kind of just rise up a little bit. And I think in a seven-game series, we're going to be tough to beat. Maybe Brooklyn – okay, Brooklyn got us now. Um, but – Who's to say that in the playoffs, we, I think this will be interesting. If we play Brooklyn in the playoffs, they may not have Kyrie for home games. And this is something I want to ask. Do you think they'll pay the fine? And here's, here's kind of my, here's, here's what I, here's what I think about this. Cause if we, if we play them at home and they don't have Kyrie, they're screwed. Um, I think that it's, if they don't pay the fine, it'll, like they, morally, they can't pay the fine because they've been pushing like following the rules, and the NBA has been pushing following the rules. Mm-hmm. But if they pay the fine in the playoffs, it's going to look really, really bad. I feel like, and I don't think the NBA is going to like it. But do you think they'll actually end up paying the fine to let them play home games? So I'm gonna keep it a stack because this is so funny that you brought this up because I reposted that earlier, um, and I actually posed the question to Instagram because I think that is a crazy concept, right? You're talking about nearly, I think, what's it? What's it five hundred uh, k or? I thought it was a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, and then five thousand. Oh, it's five thousand every, every game. I think yeah, it's yeah. five. It's five thousand every game. Which well, I mean that'll hit five hundred k quick. But uh, even with the amount of games that's left over, but um, like I could see him doing it. I really could, and I think the reality of it is you're on a timetable. Um, James Harden. We're talking James Harden, KD, Kyrie. Kyrie's on the earlier side of 30. Um, I mean, like, or what, like, just like at 30, right? Maybe even like just barely before 30 in terms of age. And, but like in terms of KD, um, James Harden, a lot of their, the rest of their roster, right? Like you're banking on big minutes from like LaMarcus Aldridge, who just came back from like pseudo retiring. You know what yeah. I mean? Patty Mills is solid, but like he's having a really good shooting year. How Patty Mills is a good three point shooter, but how much can we bank on him being this legitimate in terms of being a legit like off ball creator for them and a guy who plays big minutes? Um, they got a lot of money invested in these guys, so they don't have years to wait in terms of having those kind of max contracts attached. I could see them doing it, man. It would be really weird because of like you said before, not only just them preaching towing the line, but this has been such a build it up program in the Nets and. It would be the definition of kind of sticking your nose out at like this new method of like paying for your team, right? You know, you get KD, you get Kyrie, trade for James Harden. It would be the definition of making a 180 in terms of your overall organizational philosophy to then literally pay the price to make sure that you're winning games in the terms of like, you know, picking up a guy in Kyrie. But like, Ryan, I'll pass it to you because we actually didn't talk about this. Like, I reposted it on Instagram, but we didn't actually have that conversation. So, like, like, do you think do you think they're going to pay the fine? Do you think they should pay the fine in order to, like, get Kyrie on the floor, help them win games during the regular season, and, you know, maybe even clutch out in the postseason as well? So, I think that it's an interesting concept, pay for the fine. Like, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. Like, I don't think that – 
the Nets mind throwing out like a thousand dollars, like two thousand, three thousand, four thousand. I think it's just consistently throwing out five thousand where the fines just add up is where it's going to be an issue. Mm. There's a part of me that like kind of thinks Brooklyn might come might go to Kyrie and they'll say, Kyrie, if you, can you cover half so that like you know Brooklyn doesn't cover the full price? There's a part of me that thinks like there's a chance that happens, and I'm like, I don't want to like picture that at all. But and it's a weird suggestion, I know. But oh like, <laughs> but like, <laughs> yes, my man's Kyrie I, to split the tab. That's I hilarious. Mean, I, oh I mean, man, like it, it seems like a very like organization thing to do like make the player that's like causing your like fines to pay the fines oh to like God. pay half the fines and like the organization pays like the other half so like i i'm not that doesn't seem realistic at all <laughs> but like imagine that happening i think that's hilarious if it happens but like imagine that happening because no that like that'd be hilarious if that, I'm not gonna lie. If that happens, I wouldn't be surprised. But like, that's like last like resort type of like trying to make sure you get the most out of your big three. Because let's think, let's think about this for a second. During the Bulls game, Kyrie was not as effective. Let's let's just kind of be honest here. Mm-hmm. James Harden had to drop 25 and 16. Uh, KD had to drop 27 and 9. Patty Mills coming off the bench dropped 21 points. And then of all people to get the other 20 point game, Dayron Sharp from North Carolina had to drop 20 and 7. So that's that inconsistency that my man Sahil was talking about with Vooch, man. That's that inconsistency we're talking about. So so that's the thing. Like, okay, you can risk paying the fine for Kyrie. Or look at the sample size that you have with this team, and do you think at home, Brooklyn at home, can they beat a Milwaukee team without Kyrie? Can they beat a uh, Chicago team without Kyrie at home? Can they beat, uh, you know, Philly or like Miami without Ky- or with without Kyrie at home? Because we saw it last year. And, you know, especially in the Milwaukee series is where it hurt because James Harden was not 100% and Kyrie was out with that ankle injury. So it was basically like KD. And then Blake Griffin had to drop basically an ascent, like a additional 16 or 17 points in game seven to at least help his team out. Now you actually have some options without Kyrie Irving, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, I mean, De'Ron Sharp. You know, I, I mean, that there may not need to be a need for Kyrie to play at home if the supporting cast steps up. That's the thing. That's a big if, though. That's a, That's big, a big if. But again, yeah, man, Cam Thomas was your second name. That's a huge if. I mean, he had a late bucket for sure, like in a couple games ago to, to give them the dub. But I don't know if they're relying on him playing like legitimate minutes come postseason time. Like, I don't even know if he'll see the floor, like realistically. Like, if Kyrie's not there and. Um, if I'm the Bulls, I'm not – I'm like – of course we're going to go in with the mindset we could lose this game, but I'm not going to be sweating like crazy going into that game. 
if Kyrie's there, then they really, really know they got to step it up. So I feel like because they, they can't rely on their bench guys, and Chicago's got a Chicago's got more. I feel like reliable bench guys almost maybe, but I would agree. I'd agree. So I feel like in terms of that and how their Chicago starting lineup is playing right now. And we saw this when uh, the Nets didn't have Kyrie for the first two games, first two times they played the bulls. I feel like the bulls have got them. I don't, I think they're going to, they're going to need Kyrie or they're going to need insane performances from their bench and Harden and Durant to have a shot at beating the bulls in a seven game series. And that's the other part of it. It's a seven game series. It's not one game where the Brooklyn could go off for one game is can they consistently do it across the series without Kyrie? And I, I don't think they can. See, that's that's the thing, and I was, like, thinking about it because, like, Kyrie obviously is a special player. You know, he, he can do things that will, you know, amaze you on the court. His handles, shooting ability, you know, he's that missing piece that Brooklyn needs in order to complete, you know, uh, you know their quest for a championship. But, like, what do they need from their supporting cast to actually convince themselves Maybe they don't need Kyrie for the home games. They mean they just need it for the away games. I mean, the first half of the season had a lot more to do with like. I mean, they proved it earlier in the season. The only reason why Kyrie even got really called back as a part-time player was because of their COVID problems. So I mean, I think so far this season they've already proved it. Um, I mean, I'm just gonna go on a limb real quick because we're gonna end up transitioning topics a little bit. We're gonna stick with the Bulls, but I want to get like um more of like a, a fancy kind of topic going in a second. But like. I'm just going to go on a limb here. It's January 13, 2022. At me straight up right now. I got the Bulls winning in six straight up. Okay. I don't care. No gas, no tank. If we see Brooklyn, it's on site. Just letting y'all know. So, Brooklyn, I'm, we getting y'all in six. The only thing I fear about Brooklyn or, or the Bucks is just who's checking Giannis and who's checking KD. The only, the only thing about that is, I'm not worried about those two guys going off if the rest of our guys can hang hang tight because we have the firepower, I think, to hang with either one of those teams. And I think our defense is played strong enough to the point that I think defensively, if those turn into shootouts, I think we're straight. But even if they turn into defensive matchups, I still think we have a legitimate – we have two closers, like two real closers. If we figure that four out, this is one of those things where I kind of wish that we didn't like take Derrick Jones Jr. in the draft pick instead of Larry, Larry Nance Jr. I always thought that was so weird. And Derrick has been good for us. I hate that he's injured. He's going to be out for four to six weeks. And that draft pick does help us with, like, cap flexibility and, like, potential trades, like, if you want to trade for a four-man. But Larry Nance Jr. kind of, like, fits, at least as a guy who maybe can body up more with Giannis than Durant. I think Durant is, like, a whole separate problem. But at least with, like, a guy like Giannis, he would maybe at least be able to hang a little bit better. If we can figure that out, that'll definitely make me feel a lot more confident. But you know I'm going to stick my chest out regardless. I got Bulls in six. I'm telling y'all today, 13th of January, that I feel really good about those circumstances if we got to see them. And uh, if they got Kyrie, uh, maybe in seven. But I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that they're not going to pay that man. Uh, they're not going to pay that man's be- that pay that man's bill for him. That's a little crazy. You should probably but, ask Kyrie if he can split it. That's crazy. <laughs> anyway, so so, so I, have, I have a question for you that's more of like a fun, bullsy topic. And it's like, it's, it kind of coincides with some of the stuff we were doing off camera. We're coming towards the end of the pod, uh, by the way. But um, 
funniest Bulls related story slash interaction. Anything that you think is just so like so anything funny from an experience from a Bulls fan's experience in terms of just like being a longtime Bulls fan. Oof. Um I can think of a couple. I mean, we were joking about Mike Dunleavy yeah, Jr. I, and uh, having guys like that on the squad uh, beforehand. There's a lot of different stuff. You told us about the uh, the, uh, the Hutchinson jersey off camera and stuff like that as well. So Yeah. I mean, there's been a few. I mean, seeing some of the guys just kind of just stop on the Bulls and then leave really fast. I mean, like <laughs> Cameron Baristow. Like, the funny thing is, like, Cameron Baristow was, like, not good at all. And he was here for like barely any time, but I've got a poster of him like right here for like no reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it's him and Doug McDermott from when they got drafted. Oh so my gosh! <laughs> I've got them. So that's I don't know. I've got some. I've got definitely some older Bulls stuff here. Some non-Bulls glory days guys up on the wall right now. Um, but I think one of the weirdest, and I know we talked about this off camera, but a couple of the weird like kind of fights that have happened over the past few years. Yeah. I know, like, when Rondo was with us, like, he didn't he, like, throw a towel at, like, Jim Boylan, got, like, super annoyed, and, like, yeah. he got didn't he get suspended for that yeah. or something? Yeah, Jim Boylan was a punching bag, and Rondo was, like, at the front of the line for that year. That was, that was a weird year where we were, like, going for it without having, like, real, like, commitment to it. It was, like, half the guys were in, and half the guys were, like, dude, I'm on my first contract. I'm trying to figure this shit out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I don't blame him for throwing a towel at Jim Boylan. I mean, after how he coached, I might have done the same. But <laughs> um, I think the other the other one that I think everybody knows about, and we were talking about this one off camera, is the Portis uh, punching Miritich in the face. Punched him to um, a whole new country, bro. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. This man's out of the league. Yeah. Well, he got – didn't he get, like, a bunch more money in uh, – where did he go, Spain? Um, yeah, picture. yeah. It was like it was like it was the choice of re-sign with Milwaukee, I think, or go to Spain. And he was like, "I'm gonna go with Spain." And I'm yeah, like, so you got Dang. But the funny, the funny thing I remember about that fight is when they both came back, um, and and we talked about this again. But uh, we were I was watching the the game, and like I think it was like after the game or halftime or something, they put a graphic up on the screen uh, of Miritich and Portis's stats. And the title of the graphic was One Two Punch, which was so out of hand after <laughs> like the the whole incident where he like broke his face and stuff. And that was just hilarious when I saw that. I was just cracking up. And the uh the last the last thing in terms of stories, just because they didn't get to hear this on the pod, and this is why I really gotta get better at like recording bonus features. But uh for people who didn't get to hear it, obviously off camera stuff. Can, can you just tell the Chandler Hutcherson story like one more time yeah. in terms of like like how that went down? Because that was bizarre. Mind you, as Bulls fans, this is like serious resentment. This is like crawl under your skin level resentment as a guy that we drafted 22nd overall. We gave this dude a promise that we I would take him top 20, top 25, and he's already out of the league. But like, like Sahil's story is like the cherry on top yeah. of why we just Bulls fans need to hate this dude. I swear. I got. I was so confused when we took Hutchison. I was like, "Why? Like, it doesn't make sense." Like, like I hadn't even watched him that much, and I could tell from like the little bit I had seen of him that he wasn't like it. What didn't make sense to take him over a few of the other players that we could have taken at at twenty two, but um, 
so yeah, he's out of the league now. He signed a two-way deal with Phoenix. He got waived from that recently. Um, funny thing is, when we were in the office at Windy City, um, we were all given the opportunity to get a Chandler Hutchinson jersey. Uh, all the business ops, ticket sales people, social media people, all in the office, we could all grab one. And the only reason why was because they were all misspelled, but... <laughs> They weren't just misspelled. He had also signed the jerseys that had his own name wrong on the jerseys, which is like real. Like, how dumb do you have to be to sign your jersey <laughs> when your name's not even right? I mean, there were like ten of them. You think you would have realized that, but literally, the Bulls couldn't do anything with them, so they were just like, "You want them?" And I'm like, "Sure, I don't like the guy, but I'll take it. Why not?" <laughs> It's Man. like the rarest Chandler Hutchinson jersey out there, so who cares? That's what we were saying. Like, we were talking about it where it's like, look, regardless of the circumstances, even as a Bulls fan that, like I said, I've already, like, showed my disgust off a little bit when it comes to him, but, like, I still would have took it. Like, at the end of the day, it's just a set of circumstances where it's like, hey, man, nobody else is going to have this. I'm Super yeah. Bulls fan. This is my chance to kind of flex off. But um, the last question I'm going to ask you before we kind of close out the pod is it's it's a more generalized question. Um. Who do you have as the league MVP right now? Um, I know that's a little bit of a toughie with all the different candidates, but if you had to, if the season ended today, who would be your lead guy to host up the trophy, the trophy for MVP right now? So I'd like to say DeRozan, but I can't. I mean, right, right. If we, if we chose like, if we if we restricted it to like from like December to like now, I'd say DeRozan, but. Um, Overall, I mean, I'd say, but for me, it's between probably uh, Jokic and Giannis. Um, I mean, Jokic has he's been putting up twenty five, fourteen, and seven. Giannis twenty eight, eleven, and six. Um, if I had to pick one, I'd probably just go with Jokic because I mean, okay. so many people disrespect him. So many people disrespect him for how good of like how good of a player he is. I mean, he's probably having a better season than he did last year. I mean, like. Mm. He's so good of a player for, and he just doesn't get enough credit. Probably because I mean he's in Denver. He's not like your typical MVP like looking guy or like how he norm how your MVP usually plays. Um, but he's putting up numbers, and I mean he's getting disrespect from one of the Morris brothers too. Uh, you guys, I'm sure you guys all saw that. But yeah. I mean he doesn't. He's he's probably one of the most underrated MVPs. I can think of in recent memory. Man, that's that's a way to cap off a pod right there. Some Jokic love. Loved it. Love to hear that. So, I mean, basically, this is the part in the pod, Sayo, where we kind of turn the floor over to you in terms of just final thoughts on, I mean, it could be your experience on this podcast. It could be about any upcoming work you have coming out. Um, any personal stuff you want to plug in terms of stuff, you know, you might end up doing, um, the floor is yours, man, before we close it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, this was, this was great because it's like talking to people who actually like love the game, uh, and who are interested into in, in the G league as much as I am. And of course we got a bulls fan finally, um, somebody who truly knows the bulls and isn't just like a Derek Rose, Michael Jordan type of guy. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, this is a lot of fun in terms of like stuff that I'm going to be doing. Uh, probably just a lot more interviews, more in-person interviews, hopefully with some NBA vets uh, coming up soon. So you can see those on uh, Instagram. The The page is called NBA G League Tracker. 
Uh, so it's just at NBA G League Tracker is the page, and uh, I'll have all the interviews posted there. Um, if I do any with any bigger name players or NBA guys, usually I like I like collaborate with my personal page and post them there as well. Um, and then uh, we've got our website too, uh, which we're going to be trying. I'm I'm going to be trying to write a lot a lot more for. Uh, it's NBA G League Tracker We've got a two way tracker on there, so we're keeping that up to date now with all the different two-way players because they're constantly getting changed out. Um, we'll be writing some more articles on there. Um, we've got information on like all the finances of the G League, how the different contract types work. So uh, if you want to go check that out, you can as well. And yeah, I mean, just uh, we'll be doing a lot more content on, uh, on Instagram as well, uh, like we have been the last month with all these different players getting called up. Well, I mean, if you don't already follow them, you know, at the G League Tracker in terms of either the website and that Instagram page or shoot both, probably need to go ahead and make that commitment right now. Um, there, the, All of that stuff will be dropped, link in the description as well as the at name for the Instagram. And I think one of the big things I want people to take away from this podcast, aside from just the G League overall, I want to talk about Sahil for a second and I'm going to give them his flowers in this way by saying that this is how you break into sports. Seriously. Like I, I, and I'm, I'm learning this more and more as I talk with more people. And as me and Ryan kind of experience having these sit downs with guys that are having different walks of life within this sports media business, this is how you get into sports. You do things that might be a little unconventional from the overall pathway that you might draw up straight out of college or straight out of high school or straight out of middle school, whatever the circumstance is in terms of what you think your path is, this is how you really do it. And so he was putting in a lot of nitty gritty work. He's doing a lot of really great work. Um, Again, if you guys don't follow the page already, I, I highly, highly suggest doing so. Um, So he'll shameless plug here for the hoop talk pod. The last time we had Jeffrey on, he had about 12 K on um the G on the, the, the G league page that he runs that, that page, I'm going to just tell you, it's grown a lot since the last time we talked to him. So I don't know if that's some HTP good luck charm rubbing off, but I hope it is because if that's the case, that means that hopefully, you know, hopefully our talk distance is not as long as us with Jeffrey. Jeffrey kind of got a little, Jeffrey got a little big time and ended up having, getting a little busy. So we didn't get to talk to him for a year. Hopefully we get to talk to you a lot more frequently um, than that. But a year from now, I can see the G League tracker page being a lot bigger. I think it deserves to be a lot bigger. Uh, I hope our fairy dust rubs off a little bit, helps with that growth as well. So, yeah, man, really love what you do. Really love talking basketball with you. You you know you're free to always come on the pod um, anytime. Bulls, NBA, G League, the whole nine. It's been a pleasure having you on, man. Ryan, get us up out of here, bro. Get us up out of here. It's, it's, it's almost – it's what's it, past 11 o'clock EST? Jesus Christ. Yeah, we're recording actually our, our fourth episode of the day. Um, for the Who Talk <laughs> podcast. Um, but I mean, Jalen, this does kind of give me an idea that Sahil can join us for the Wheel of Fandom Chicago Woo! series that we have coming up. So uh, we'll explain to you more off pod about that. But uh, transitioning to our question of the day for our fans um, in regards to the Chicago Bulls, do you think the Chicago Bulls can finish as the top seed in the Eastern Conference by the end of the season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoops Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode.